you've turned into Sorting Pin, the California Cattlemen's podcast. Every day, the California Cattlemen's Association is sorting through the issues impacting California's ranching families and producers. To communicate those issues, discuss solutions, and keep ranchers current on the hot topics, CCA Leadership has developed this podcast. Happy November. It may be the month turkey's shining, but we're still talking about cattle and beef on the Sorting Pen Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of joining Dr. Frank Mitloner on UC Davis's campus. He is a professor and air quality specialist in cooperative extension for the Department of Animal Science. Listen now as Dr. Mitloner, also known on Twitter as the GHG Guru, shares an update for California producers on the recent work he's been doing pertinent to cattle and the environment. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mitloner. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's great to be here at UC Davis with you. I know you have a busy travel season. You just got back from Nebraska, I heard. Yes. So mm-hmm. thanks for making time for us. We're super excited to hear what you have to say today and share with our California producers. You are very welcome. Anytime. Our members on Twitter, I know that they keep up with your tweets. We have some other members that I know follow you in the news, read kind of what you've been up to. But for those who maybe don't know you or maybe haven't heard you since you last spoke at our convention all the way back in 2019, you were one of our general session speakers. We just kind of wanted to hear what you're up to and see what the Clear Center has been working on and hear how things are going at UC Davis. Yeah. So I'm a professor in air quality specialist in the Department of Animal Science. And so I teach undergraduate students and graduate students. I do research, publish that research, of course, in the scientific literature. I'm also the director of the CLEAR Center. And that's a center that I established uh, almost two years ago. And half of the CLEAR Center is in research, the other half communication, science communication. So on the research side, we have PhD students and postdocs doing all the different kinds of trials of research experiments and so on. Then on the communication side, we have a team of professional writers and journalists kind or type staff that help us to communicate with various stakeholders, whether it's people in the industry or NGOs, non-governmental organizations, whether it's agencies, whether it's the legislature or journalists, we communicate with just about everyone. That's a lot for one center. Yes, it is. For those who don't know or haven't read up on the Clear Center, what are some examples of the types of projects and communication you're putting out of that center? So we oftentimes write white papers, for example, where we help the industry to formulate their strategic goals. For example, the most recent one was showing a path to reach climate neutrality, meaning a point by which the beef and dairy industry no longer have any negative impact on climate. So we describe how they can reach, well, first of all, what that goal could be and by what time they could reach it and then how they could reach it. So that's one example. We do, we write blogs and these blogs are quite successful. Uh, You find them on the clear.ucdavis.edu webpage. Oftentimes these blogs form the base of stories that journalists write about, reporters write about. Okay, when they think of, you know, what can I write about that's about livestock and sustainability, they go to our Clear Center webpage, they find the blocks, and then they write stories. Sometimes they just take our blocks and sell them as theirs, you know. <laughs> that's Great. okay. I don't have a problem with that. It's happening. I frequently also, we frequently also interact with the legislature. For example, a year plus ago, um, I had some back and forth with AOC, the congresswoman from the East, and it was actually quite productive. And it's important that we interact with folks like that because they are important influencers and um, they have important voices. And so we want to make sure that we talk to people on all sides, on all sides, really, and considered a science-based convener and mediator and so on. 
AOC is a great example to share. I know last year, I'd say pretty much a couple months into COVID, you actually had some interaction with Burger King. Yeah, they put out a video that was very surprising to us because considering who Burger King is, it surprised us that they associated the eating of meat with uh, kids having to wear respirators. And so they had this yodeling boy there, this yodeling guitar player. Yeah, it really gets stuck in your head. Yeah, it does. This was a clever piece. Unfortunately, it was not really based on facts and uh, it had some issues with it. And so I let them know via social media what the beef was that I had with it, that we had with it. And uh, they made some changes and then later came to us and said, "Um, I think we need to do things differently here. We want to do research with UC Davis. They funded research trials to help their beef suppliers reduce enteric emissions, meaning methane methane that's belched out. And now we are working with them. So that's uh, another example, a very good one of how you can really move the needle. Because if you work with the McDonald's and Burger Kings, with the Cargill's and others, with the large ones, in addition to working with individual farmers and ranchers and, and so forth, then you move the needle in a big way. In a big way, okay? Not just have some tiny little impact here and there, but you are now actually moving an entire industry. That is a big way. Coming from just a couple of tweets? That, yes. I mean, we wrote a Twitter thread, which is a long chain of tweets on the one and then blogs on the other. So we did engage with them. And we also released a video called Rethinking Methane, which is available on YouTube. And that was very timely because it fit exactly into that response to Burger King. Yeah, we'll be sure to link that um, when we put up this episode. On the Clear Center website, there's a quote from you, and I think it's really important. You say, I won't tell you what to think, and I certainly won't tell you what to eat. That's a personal decision based on many factors. What I will do is present the latest, most accurate research we have on animal ag and air quality in regards to climate. What is the latest research on animal ag and climate? Oh, that's a good question. Well, the main narrative here is uh, the following. Methane has been largely mischaracterized over the last few decades. Back in 1990, a so-called matrix was developed, meaning a way of describing the climate impacts of methane that made it look as if it were just a more potent CO2, carbon dioxide, as if methane were 28 times more powerful than CO2, as if that were the rest or the end of the story. Uh, but it's not the end of the story, um, which we had shown um, you know, with some of the publications we put out and a lot of the communication we put out. People didn't pay much attention until recently. And that until recently is a report that was put out by the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, IPCC, the world's most authoritative agency on climate, released their recent report. And the findings of that report mirrored exactly what we had been saying for years, namely that the way that methane had been quantified up until this point is totally exaggerated, that the unit used to characterize methane is flawed, has a problem to it. Namely, the problem is that methane is not just produced, but methane is also destroyed. There is an atmospheric removal of methane, which occurs almost at the same level that this gas is produced. But the current way of characterizing methane only takes the production, but not the destruction into consideration. And that is just, that's just, uh, that's just wrong. We told the world that we agreed with a group of scientists from Oxford, and this group developed a new way of characterizing methane. And that characterization actually shows that if you have stable cattle herds, stable sources of methane, then the amount of methane these animals produce and the amount of methane that's destroyed naturally are in balance. A stable cattle herd will not add additional warming to our planet. 
But now comes something exciting. If you reduce methane, then you pull carbon out of the atmosphere and that induces negative warming. That's a fancy word for cooling. If you reduce methane, you pull carbon out of the air and that makes animal agriculture a solution to our climate issues. So what we need to do is we need to find ways to further reduce methane and then we will not just get to a point where we become climate neutral as a sector, but where we can offset some of the fossil fuel emissions. Because the fossil fuel sector can't really reduce their emissions. Uh, they can just stabilize it. We can actually reduce it. Well, that's a great way to transition. You've touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to go back to the paper. I think it was in September, put out a white paper with Dr. Sarah Place from Alanco Animal Health on climate neutrality. And the quick summary of the white paper on the Clear Center, you say that the cattle sectors can reach climate neutrality, also referred to as net zero warming by 2050 by reducing methane emissions in coming decades by 18 to 32%. Let's kind of dive into what climate neutrality is, how is it different than net zero, and discuss what this means for producers. Honestly, probably some ranchers right now are listening and thinking, how is this going to be possible? What am I going to have to do mm -hmm. to get to this point? So first of all, what is climate neutrality? Climate neutrality means that a sector such as the cattle sector can reach a point by which they no longer contribute any additional warming to our climate, by which they are pretty much neutral to the climate. What has to happen to reach that point is that we reduce methane. The other greenhouse gases, nitrous oxide and CO2, don't have to be reduced at a large extent, but methane has to be reduced anywhere between maybe 20%, 25%, 30%. And once we do that, the reduction of methane pulls carbon out of the air and leads to net negative warming, meaning it has a cooling effect to reduce methane. And this reduction of methane offsets the other greenhouse gases, meaning at some point, if you reduce methane strongly enough, you offset other greenhouse gases, leading to a point where you no longer have any net contributions. The other sectors of society, such as, uh, let's say, transportation or power production or so, they can't do that because the greenhouse gas they emit is not methane. The greenhouse gas they emit is CO2. And here comes the deal. CO2 has a lifespan, meaning once it's in the air, it stays there for a thousand years. Methane, the main livestock greenhouse gas, has a lifespan of about a decade. So it is true that methane is more powerful in trapping heat from the sun, but it has a very short lifespan. This is almost like you drinking a beverage, let's say a tequila, but for some reckless reason, your body can metabolize it really super fast and in 10 minutes, you no longer have any impact. That's what it's like, okay? Methane is a strong gas. It's a strong heat trapping gas, but it disappears after about a decade because there's another molecule in the air that destroys it. The fossil fuel sector, such as transportation and power production and use, the cement industry and so on, they have to reduce their CO2. And, and even if they reduce it, even if they bring it down to zero, what they have put into the atmosphere up until now will stay there for a thousand years and will continue warming our planet. Even if you shut down all fossil fuel sectors, what they have put into the air up until now continues warming for another thousand years. So even a, a net zero for these sectors, net zero carbon for these sectors, will not lead to any reduction of warming, but just a plateauing, constant warming. It's different for methane. If you reduce methane, then you're pulling carbon out of the air. That has a negative effect. I mean, a negative effect in so far that it pulls it out of the air. And that's, it sounds negative, sounds bad, but it's in my circle, it's a good thing, okay? Negative warming means that's a good thing, that's cooling. So for producers, what does this mean for them? What it means is that if they, for example, feed certain additives, feed additives, and some of those are 
even good for performance of cattle. They feed those additives, then the performance goes up or feed efficiencies or so go up, while at the same time methane goes down. Okay, That effect could be anywhere between 10 to 50%, 5-0. We have done studies here at UC Davis where we found effects in that range, Okay, between 10 to 50%, which is huge. Other ways of reducing greenhouse gases is through how you graze animals. So you might have heard of a process called soil carbon sequestration, which is the process by which plants that our animals eat, before they get eaten, suck carbon out of the air. Okay, They take carbon out of the air during photosynthesis, and when they do, the carbon goes from the air into the plant, first above ground and then below ground into the roots, and then there are soil microbes that take that carbon and log it in. Using this process of soil carbon sequestration, we can take carbon from the atmosphere and lock it in our soils. And indeed, the ranching sector does that very effectively. And one of the reasons why it's locked away so effectively is because we're not plowing these fields. A normal ranch doesn't plow their fields. And that means the carbon that's now locked away in the ground stays there. And that's in sharp contrast to crop production, where... Yeah, let's say corn or soy or so also takes carbon out of the air. It also puts it in the ground, but then sooner or later, a tractor drives over it with a plow on it and tills the field, and then that carbon comes back out. So it's not happening like that in, in our ranching world, but it is in other land use forms. And so we have a special role to play in so far that we can sequester more carbon. Yeah, and that's a big buzzword right now. That is a big buzzword, and, and rightfully so. Speaking of buzzwords, I'd like to transition a little bit. We were just curious, what trends are you seeing in the news um, as far as cattle and the environment? The trend that I'm seeing is that in the past, people simply said methane is a potent greenhouse gas. Cattle produce methane. We need to stop eating you know, ruminant animals such sure. as cattle. That was the storyline of the last few years. I think we have changed the narrative enough and explain to the world why that narrative is significantly flawed, such that now I don't hear that anymore. Now I hear people saying, okay, if we reduce methane, then livestock can contribute a solution to the problem. But how about in addition to that, in addition to farmers and ranchers reducing their methane, we also promote that people eat less meat and milk and eggs. The reason why they're so married to that is because their main reason of lobbying against livestock is not that they want to protect the climate, but because they don't like us using livestock. They have had the same agenda for a long time. Ten years ago, it was more welfare-related, animal yeah. welfare, animal rights. Now it's more climate-related. Now they see the Rethinking Methane campaign going through, and they're already uh, positioning themselves on the topics of the future, which are now biodiversity and land use change. So we will never get this monkey off our back. Our topics will change, but we in the sector have to do what's right, which is identify those impacts that we have, quantify them uh, in a fact-based way, and then mitigate them effectively. Because by doing so, we show to the consumer, and I'm now not talking about some activists or so, I'm talking about the normal consumer. Sure, the movable middle. And the person who really appreciates animal source food consumption, that we care about the climate. We care about the sustainability of producing the foods we produce. Uh, we care about the welfare of the animals we grow. We care about the safety of the product and so forth. It's really important to show that you're not just doing what you've always done and uh, you don't really care about 
issues that are thrown your way, but the opposite is the way to go, namely that you appreciate concerns people have and you take them by the horns. How do you push back on the pushback for people, ranchers specifically, who are out with their cattle every day and then maybe they hear something on the news or see something on social media or run into someone at the grocery store and ask about cattle and the environment? What is the best advice that you can give to them about how they can share the full picture of what cattle on California rangelands are doing and benefiting the state? Well, I have learned over the years that farmers are actually very, uh, very much trusted. The problem is most farmers and ranchers don't really like to talk much to the public, and certainly not to the media. Uh, most of them are private people and they're quite conservative people. And they say, well, we know what we do and we've always done it that way. And, you know, leave us alone with that. Those days are over. Those days are over. And uh, what I'm not saying is that the individual farmer rancher shall go out and talk to CNN, because that can be quite scary. But to communicate with their circles, with their family, with their family, with their church community, or whatever their network might be, okay, is really important. When people, when you sit next to someone on a plane, or, uh, you know, some 20-year-old wants to know what you do to help the climate or what you do to improve welfare of animals. You should never shy away from questions like that because guess what? There's nobody who knows more about the welfare of your cattle, about the welfare or about the health of the soils that you work on, how you manage your place. Nobody knows more about that than you. I tell you, I teach a class here at UC Davis called Animal Science 41L. Uh, as part of this class, I take students to commercial farms and ranches. And when I take them to one particular ranch here in this area, the rancher tells them about how everything fits together. What the soils look like, what they're made out of, uh, what grows there, what kind of forages he has, how he controls weeds, uh, how he manages the forages, uh, how he manages the animals the entire interplay of all parts of the ecological systems are explained by this guy. He has about 7,000 acres and um, he shows those students around for two or three hours. And at the end of this trip, I asked the students, and I've been doing this for 10 years, whether or not they can find any more sustainable land use for this plot of land that we have just visited that has the purpose of producing food. Any other land use that would be more sustainable than the land use this gentleman is using. And in 10 years, and I told them, if you do that, if you show me one and you convince me, I give you $100. I still have that whole $100 and I will have it for a long time because there is no more sustainable way of using that land. I think that's a great picture and great story of how important it is to get people out on the land. Getting people on ranches, on these tours, seeing it firsthand makes a huge difference. In your own research, in your own interviews with the media, You've received some pushback. How do you respond to that pushback yourself? Yeah, unfortunately, there is a large number of people in the media who have preconceived notions. They are quite anti-livestock, anti-meat, anti-dairy, and so on. They come to you with a story written, and they interview you and might put one or two sentences of what you say into their piece. That's not really responsible reporting, in my opinion. Okay, so you should really be open to contrarian views. Most journalists who I deal with have done that. There are some really negative examples. I have even experienced hit pieces written against me or about me, and that really affects me negatively because I don't deserve that. Absolutely nobody deserves that. If you feel like you don't want to eat meat, then don't eat meat or other animal source foods. But please understand that I'm an animal scientist, one whose role it is to minimize the environmental footprint of livestock, 
That's my role, and I will continue to play that role. I think whether or not you eat animal source foods, that's totally your choice. But you should respect that there are people like myself who help the industry to further reduce and minimize negative contributions to the furthest extent possible. And that's all I'm asking, that people are respectful. Those who are not, they will get pushback from me. I, I promise you that much. Yeah, I know you're not afraid. No, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm a very friendly person, but don't trample on me. Well, we're very thankful that you are in this role and that you're willing to push back and answer the tough questions. I think your producers are going to be really happy to hear what you have to say. There's opportunity going forward. I think that's a great thing to share with them. Yeah, you know, sometimes there are things that we stumble over, issues in animal agriculture, and uh, producers say, well, why is he doing that research now? You know, that's not putting us in a good light. Well, my role is not to put you in a good light. My role is to help you with science-based information to improve your operations, okay? And sometimes uh, a certain research topic doesn't really look like it might be promising. But over the 30 years or so I've been doing this, I've found that even in those instances, people at the end say, man, I'm glad he did that. I'm glad they did that at the time because now I have really improved my operation as a result. At the time, I didn't see it, but now I know it was, it was a good thing. So you have to trust me to know what I'm doing and, and why I'm doing things I'm doing. There's a, a general plan behind that. And it's a responsible one, one that has the best, really the best for the producer in mind. Well, what is the best way for people to learn more about the Clear Center and the work that you're doing? You know, about two years ago, people asked me, Frank, why are you not on social media? And I said, well... What can I put onto social media that's meaningful? You know, for example, Twitter with 280 characters. Looking back, I can only tell you, I was silly for having waited so long to join this social media platform because now I can reach 3 million people a month. So you show me how I can do that without social media. Yeah. Last year, I had 26 million impressions on Twitter, twice as much as the UC Davis flagship account. So that really shows you not just that that we are dealing with something that's hot and, and you know people really care about the topics that we are dealing with, but also that we are doing it effectively. So we are using Twitter. GHG Guru is my handle. We are using a webpage called clear.ucdavis.edu. On that webpage, you find explainers on all different kinds of topics. What's a greenhouse gas? You know, how do, do uh, animals contribute to warming? And so for all the different kinds of explainers, then there are blogs on there, which are stories about all different kinds of issues. Let's say, is it true that consuming beef in the United States leads to a deforestation in the Amazon? Topics like that. Uh, we have videos on there, YouTube videos, webinars, a ton of information. And I think it's uh, it's really making a difference now because journalists and so on, people in the legislature, uh, they're looking for platforms, they're finding them. If you haven't checked it out, we'll be sure to post it up with the Rethinking Methane video. Dr. Mitlinero, thanks so much for having us today. I'm super happy to uh, to have talked to you and, uh, and I wish you all the best. Thank you, you as well. Thanks for catching up on another episode of Sorting Pen. We'll be back in two weeks with more updates specific to ranching in California. Don't forget to let us know your feedback and input on what you'd like to hear in future episodes.